welcome to another episode of the M&A Mastermind Podcast. Uh, this is, again, the place where we bring in experts to talk about ways in which you can level up your M&A practice. Again, I'm Nick Olson, Managing Director of Cornerstone International Alliance. We are a group of lower mid-market M&A firms um, across the globe. Here we bring in guests who are truly masters of their craft, the, the best of the best, and I get to talk to them about you know, different topics within uh, the M&A space. And this is the form that we do it, um, you know, weekly. So I would like to introduce my guest. I'm uh, really excited about this person. He is a founding member of Cornerstone International Alliance. He comes from a banking background as a former president and CEO, has achieved many designations, some of, uh, some, you know, within the M&A uh, industry, some of which are certified valuation analysts certified business intermediary, and a merger and acquisition master intermediary. He is also a former chair of M&A Source and other leadership roles within different organizations. Um, he is one of the hardest working people I know, always a grinder, always working hard. Um, he has a true passion for tennis, and I am pleased and honored and um, excited to have uh, the managing partner and founder of Murphy McCormick Capital Advisors. Bob McCormick joining me today. Bob, thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Hey, Nick, I'm glad to be here, and that's a nice introduction. I appreciate it. I love, I just love always hearing the stories about tennis, and, you know, to this day, you're, you I mean, how many times do you play tennis, you know, a course of a week or a month? It's usually three to five times a week, but I, and this weekend I'll have three matches, so, um, yeah, we're trying to squeeze in before the playoffs. <laughs> Keeps you young, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I love you. Find your passion and, and if you can uh, create it into an active uh, you know, thing, it's uh, going to keep you on, keep you active, and it'll be good for, uh, for you overall. So want to dive in. We're talking today about how to scale your M&A firm. And the reason why we're talking to you about this topic is, you know, I guess twofold. One, I think that's, a, that's the million-dollar question. Like, how can you run a really good M&A firm? You know, I, I've seen a lot of different structures. We have 26 firms within the Alliance currently and growing. Um, I would say we have 26 different ways that uh, they run their, 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 their firms are structured. And so I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this with you. Um, but I want to start back in, you know, 2005 when you founded Murphy McCormick Capital Advisors. Um, why did you get in? So you had a very successful career in banking um, and you made this transition to uh, mergers and acquisitions, I guess. Why did you do that? And, and you know, back then and, and um, you know, what got you in and excited about, you know, getting into M&A? Yeah, so, so background there is when I was a commercial banker, bank CEO, I did nine acquisitions uh, in banking. I also financed a fair amount as well. And I, I really enjoyed the M&A side. And uh, when I sold SunBank um, to what is now FNB, First National Bank of Pennsylvania, I uh, had to not compete in traditional banking. So I sold it October 31st, September 1st. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I sold it September 30th. October 1st, the local economic development group came to me and said, can you help buy a local hardwood furniture manufacturing company from Lazy Boy? And so my, my time off wasn't very long. And uh, so we got started trying to do an employee management buyout. Uh, from Lazy Boy, we raised a ton of capital. Uh, we put some nice offers together. Ultimately, Lazy Boy said no to us. Uh, 
And uh, I looked at doing M&A in the banking sector solely and didn't want to move. I moved six times in my banking career. My family was tired of moving. And uh, went to Ireland for a couple of weeks and came back and we started the business. And, and we, what really was, we saw a niche in central Pennsylvania in the region. There really weren't a lot of good M&A small investment banking firms or, or even business brokers in central PA. And that's what really prompted it. We saw a need in the marketplace. We saw an ability to service that marketplace well. And uh, that got us going. Okay. Uh, what, uh, when, you, when you founded uh, Murphy McCormick uh, back in 2005, what did that like? How many like what did that look like? How many people did you have? Was it you? Was it just you as the you know sole owner? Did you have a partner? Did you have advisors, support staff? Like it, it was pretty. Owner, how would it look? It was pretty much myself, uh, a secretary, it was the daughter of one of my administrative assistants from my banking career, who knew nothing about investment banking, and the CFO of that that company, and he was not an owner. He was a an employee. Um, more of an independent contractor type employee at that point. Uh, great guy, played a valuable role for us early on. Um, but um, yeah, it was a very small, small firm. We literally, you know, from my office now, it's across the parking lot. We expanded space since then, and and uh, uh, but it got us started, and we and, and we got off pretty quickly with some engagements. Uh, they were probably not the perfect engagements, but it got us going pretty quickly early on. Yeah, what did those engagements look like? What you know, size, industry, like what did that look like? Well, we, one of, one of the mistakes I made uh, early on was, uh, you know, and you often hear this for new people getting this and take every engagement. Now, as a commercial lender, I would never take every deal, but you know, I listened to the industry, and um, so we had we had a we we don't do as a lender. I never made loans to bars and restaurants. Well, we had a restaurant. We had a hairdresser. We had a bar, um, a photography studio. Uh, you know, all wonderful, nice people, but they were not great engagements. And um, amazingly, we sold them, uh, but they were um, painful processes. And uh, we quick, quickly realized this is not the niche that we need to be in. And um, uh, so, yeah, the first, the first, the first, we probably had fifteen engagements in the first two months which is what they tell you to have per person on the business brokerage end. And um, uh, just, they were, it was a painful first year or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're trying to find, you're kind of trying to find your way, kind of, you know, it's, um, you know, you don't want to pass up uh, opportunities necessarily, but going through that first year, it sounds like you kind of found that, like, if it's not a right fit for me and us, our, our firm, or, you know, the, the connection doesn't work or it's not a right fit for the business owner. Like, it's okay to, you know, pass on a deal. Yeah, so we, we got very disciplined on that. I think, Nick, you've heard me talk about this. We pass on 9.3 out of every 10 engagements. And we're and trying to instill that discipline firm-wide is, is something we continue to work on and uh, in, in processes. But of those 9 out of 10 that we don't take, about half of them are something we want to deal with in the long term. The other half are lifestyle businesses that probably aren't sellable. And so it really, in their best interest, there's different ways to get liquidity out of it other than selling the business. And we need to help them head that right way. Uh, but, you know, we're doing the worst thing if we could tell. We've tell a business owner we could sell a business and we can't sell it. 
and to get their hopes up and dreams up and it's and and, and uh, when it, nobody could sell for that matter it's it's the wrong thing to do to somebody so we really got disciplined to make sure we're always doing the right thing for the clients yeah i'll just you put words in my mouth i was saying not, not that it's the right necessarily fit for you but you want to make sure that it's it's the right fit for the client and they're going to get the best outcome uh, because it is it's what you know, in most cases that uh, these business owners the the biggest financial transaction of their lives and they're looking to you know take that next step in their life and if you give them false hope or you know you don't you know not fall not purposefully but you know if you don't if you think you can do it and then you end up getting through the process and it's not what they expected that's not good for anybody no it's not no and, and if you have a servant leadership style or a moral compass it really says we shouldn't you shouldn't do those things and 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 be honest with the business owner one of the things as a commercial lender or ceo of the bank teaching people how to say no to loans is sometimes saying no to loans or saying it's not the type of loan we should offer you is the best thing for the business owner right. and having that you know always having that that path what's right for them you ultimately help your shareholders too right right yeah and, and they might not see it like you do at that time and you're doing them a favor by like you said you know not taking on or not, this is not the right in my opinion not the right plan for you going forward so I think that's awesome. I would say your moral compass and everyone at your business is very high. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a testament to you guys and how you do Appreciate that. So when you're looking at, you say 9.3 out of 10 businesses, you, you say no to for whatever reason. Um, that one out of 10, you know, engagement sets you take on, like, what are the things you look for when you're looking at bringing on a client that you feel like you can be successful um, in selling their company? Well, I think I think it starts with with back to the character of the business owner. I mean, it's really easy to take on clients that have challenging financial statements. You know, we always get the wink and I mean, modest. You know, we're adding we're, we're expensing our cell phones to the business or things along those lines. But you know, those that say, "Well, we have a," you were just in Montana, I think, hiking, Nick. Those that have a ranch in Montana and we're expensing it through the business, but we don't use it in the business, and they have twenty of those type things in our income statement. That's probably not a fixed fit for us. Yeah. For those that really don't care about their customers or employees or or vendors, those are tough engagements. We get past that. It's really you know um, committed to doing the process, following the process, committed to being disciplined with it, having quality financial statements having a good deal team around them. We work real closely with good M&A attorneys, good M&A CPA firms and business coaches and then wealth management firms. And collectively, you you know, one of my former teammates, Nick, who you knew, uh, Dave Weimer, Dave used to say it takes a village to sell a business. And um, and that's why we build a team too, internally. And then we're having deal teams externally. And it really does have good outcomes for the client uh, in, in that sense. So, Having those pieces together, and then yeah, you know, the biggest challenge our whole industry has, whether you're dealing with publicly traded banks or a small business owner, is a valuation gap. And if we can bridge that valuation gap, either now or over time, then those are usually good engagements. Um, you you just mentioned, you know, a, a nice transition to what was going to be my next question is, and the topic of today is you created a team around you or the you, for each engagement so tell us about you know talk about like how are you currently structured um from an organizational perspective because i know you have a really good team around you that do specific things within the deal process 
How do, how 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 is that structured for you guys? Yeah, so so back in two thousand five when we started the company, um, quick quick, you know, I went to New York and met with my investment banker from the bank side, who specializes in banking, and great mentor, great friend. He said we should do it this way. And then I went to a um, Pennsylvania Business Brokers Association conference and said, no, you should do an eat-what-you-kill type structure. And so I was torn. It was only me and one other guy at that point. So it was more eat-what-you-kill. And that functionally did not work, work real well in the, the lower middle market. It works a little bit in Main Street. And so um, we quickly started to evolve, saying this is not the right fit for us. Um, and then we started working with my former chief banking officer, um, who's my business partner now, Sandy Miller. She was working for another company, and uh, we were kept on using her for free, so to speak, to do help us with some marketing material and building the brand and doing some of those things. And my CFO friend there that was working for us, his name's Jack. Jack said. Um, why don't we hire her? So we hired her November 2005, and then she became a partner after that. And um, with working with her and working with Jack, we quickly evolved to saying, no, we're going to work in more a deal team type structure, similar to what, um, you know, we compete with some the lower and true middle market investment banking firms. They typically work in a deal team type format. So um, we have a relationship manager on every engagement. We typically have an analyst on every engagement, and then we have a, what we call managing directors. In, in our world, that we used to call them underwriters, but um, very similar to what you have in a commercial bank. So if you think about a commercial banking setup, you have a commercial lender who's a relationship manager, and you typically have a credit officer who's also in, is part of that engagement and an analyst. And we think that really does have good outcomes. And sometimes we have more than one managing director on it. So it, one, when you're competing for lower middle market deals, even before you get the engagement and you show up as a one person in that presentation to them, they really want to know who's behind you, who's your, who, who's supporting you with this. And if you're competing with, you know, we don't compete with Goldman Sachs much, but occasionally we'll get a Goldman Sachs type competitor. Uh, you know, they'll show up a team of five, six people. Now they're all, they're all 20 years old, just out of school and have no experience. But, it, you know, it does say there's some depth to that team, depth to that organization, and we really try to present ourselves that way. Uh, so back to your question, Nick, the relationship managers though, are the often the person in front of the client. They're the ones having those initial early meetings with the client or the referral source or whatever the case is. The managing director is typically um, one that's doing the business valuations. So our firm has five people that are certified in business valuation. So we think that's critical in what we do. We have three CPAs on our team. Uh, uh, only one that's you know still has a practice type license, but we're still very active with the, the Pennsylvania Institute of CPAs. And those tend to be the more the managing director type. So they they are the ones that are really uh, running the deal doing the confidential information memorandum, running the data room, doing the due diligence, pre-market due diligence, in-market due diligence, and then when we get to the um, the actual purchase agreements and schedules and those, they're doing all that heavy lifting. So the relationship manager can still stay active in the marketing side. The relationship manager is still active in the deal from the negotiation of business points. 
and the managing director plays an active role in that negotiations, but also they're critical in understanding the due diligence and having good outcomes. Our attorneys love that we do the schedules, the attorneys that we work with, the M&A attorneys. So we, we know the deals pretty well by the time we get to a purchase agreement. And um, uh, we think it also is a good outcome for our clients. So it's a, it's a good mix uh, in what our structure is. And uh, I think our real big value proposition, not discounting our relationship managers, they do a great job, but our managing directors just, they really are disciplined, quality uh, teammates, and they're important for good outcomes for our clients. I mean, yeah, that sounds, it, it, it just makes a ton of sense. And it feels like you have all your bases covered on the front end. You know, and your experience, you've, You've done hundreds of deals and, and in your past, and you know just relying on that experience to know like this is how a deal is going to go, and we're going to put the people in the places that will they will succeed, they will make the deal process succeed, and ultimately get the best outcome for your client. Um, so yeah, I think that just makes a ton of sense. As to yeah, and, and and Nick, working as a team too, you get the you get to bounce ideas off each other. So you know we're. We do a fair amount of uh, tax analysis on deals, so we really try to understand the the tax structures of deals and help our clients understand it. You know, sometimes there's those are kind of um, brainstorming sessions, uh, and it's, if you try to do it yourself, you know, you're always kind of the answer you want to have. But it's always good to have those other people involved in in the relationship and having a team to bounce things off of. And most of these deals are, are have some complexity to it, whether it's Taxes or networking capital or F reorgs or something on those lines, and having a, a group of people that are, you know, have lifelong learning commitment, which our MDs and relationship managers do, and uh, willing to learn and continue to grow that way, it's a good good thing to have. Yeah, long time lifelong learning commitment. I like that term. But what do you guys, as an organization, provide for your for your team to continue to? you know, stay hungry and learn and be on top of their game? Well, a few things. One, we, we kind of expect all our relationship managers, MDs, analysts to um, actively participate in M&A source. Um, and I'm past chair, so there's probably a little bias there, but certainly uh, taking the quality classes at the conferences, um, doing the online classes, we, we pay 100% of it. We don't ask anybody in our team we still have some independent contractors on our team too. We pay for them too. And it's it's 100% everything, hotel rooms, flights, the classes, but we expect them to go to the classes and bring back the knowledge. We do an awful lot of, um, we pay for the NACFA certifications, the PICPA, AICPA uh, type things. The uh, So we're, we're, you know, I forget the number, but it was, you know, thousands of dollars we had in education-related costs uh, for the team. So we kind of expect that um, they expect me too, because I'll they'll get a even outside of M and A. Just it may seem like a dumb thing, but like Microsoft Office has so many great things now with some of the things they're doing. Yep. Just how to take notes within Teams or um, uh, you know some of the crazy stuff. But you know, the, the, they'll get a YouTube video from me on Teams saying, "Hey." pay attention to this or, um, uh, you know, just, uh, 1202 tack, you know, how to use 1202 or, you know, what's a 330 H10. And, um, I'm sure I drove them nuts, but it's, uh, you know, the expectation is they're going to use this and know this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and and so to me, you guys paying you know for that for them, and that's a, a commitment from a firm level on you know the the team you have, and so what is your? I mean, you have you know you got some some young talent, you got you know kind of a good mix of age and people in different spots in their careers. Like when you're you're creating this team, is there a mindset like your expectation is that you know they're in it for the long haul? We're going to invest in them. We hope they're with us for you know many years to come and create an opportunity for them to continue to grow within your firm and do more better things. Like is that kind of your mindset? Yeah, it certainly is. And 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 um, you know whether it's Sandy and I as partners or many of our peers. Um, in uh, in the Cornerstone Alliance, I mean, we got some younger owners in Cornerstone Alliance, but you know they're quickly going to be older owners at some point too. Um, and it's uh, it's amazing when I see some of my guys that work for me in banking that they have gray hair sometimes. But but anyways, where I was going with that that comment is um, our expectation is that we're building a younger team and we're going to invest in that younger team. And we're going to expect them to continue to to grow and be committed. We expect them to be committed to the education, lifelong learning. That was one of the core core values. And we also expect them, you know, we make investments in our clients that sometimes take five to six years to, to, to reap a reward. And often we're not getting paid at all. We expect them to do the same thing. And, and you know, if you're 27 years old, you certainly have a life lifeline that can do that. Right. So they, they know, if, you know, if they, they just spend a lot of time with a client that's going to be three to five years before that closes. Mm-hmm. If they're going to be looking to leave the company the year, they're not going to get that yield. So we're, we're, uh, we very much believe in that, that commitment. And, and like you said, we got three younger guys in the team. Seriously, I tell them one, two, three of them are going to own the company someday uh, uh, or be a, uh, uh, in a leadership role inside the company. And we're trying to, you know, not just build their technical skills, uh, certainly trying to build their people skills, but also to think like an owner too. Yeah. What um, now, uh, two parts, oh, first question is, so you said you had a couple of 1099. So, you know, like now moving forward, is it like, is it the model to have, you know, kind of like W-2s type of employees where they got to- Yeah, we, we made a- we made that commitment a few years ago to, to move to employees. Um, you know, somebody asked me what I would do differently um, if I started the firm all over again, and it would have been a hundred percent employees. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Um, one back to lifelong commitment and sticking with the firm, they're more likely to be sticky yep. Two, we value we do a lot of work in the wealth management space. And I know, you know, Mike Mensch does one of our peers in CIA does a lot in the insurance space. Those that are employee based companies in insurance and wealth management space versus independent contractors tend to have a higher valuation. You know, 100% of our, our CIA members and peers in, in the MA world are going to be sell, they're going to sell their business, they're going to go out of business. They're going to have 100% are going to have a succession plan. We preach that to our clients. But we got to be doing the same thing ourselves. So if I'm going to transfer the ownership of my company to one of the younger guys at some point, I want something to transfer. Yeah. And so if I have a team of 20 independent contractors running all over the place doing what they want to do, 
one, it's hard to build a brand. Two, it's really difficult to maintain the integrity, the core values that you want to have in the value proposition when sometimes they're going off half cock somewhere, I hate to say. Um, so, you know, employees do foster the ability to build that brand. It does cost more money. So you're paying payroll taxes, typically your 401ks and health insurance and all those type things, but it's an investment in the company. And um, so the, 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 the few, it's a couple that we have on, as independent contractors anymore are really twofold. They're from an age perspective. They don't want to make, the, they don't need the health benefits. They don't need the 401k and they're getting closer to retirement. Um, and the only other place we do an independent contractor piece is with Main Street. We don't typically do Main Street deals. We have a tough time referring them anywhere. So we opted to say, well, we're going to do the Main Street business um, defensively. And the person that's run it is a great addition to our firm. He's a CPA himself. I've known him for 30 years. And uh, he does Main Street in such a disciplined way uh, with help from the the the, 10, the W two employees, but he does a great job with that. So that's why we opted to do that in that, that case. It's not a business we want to be in, and he's at a point in his career too. He doesn't need the the uh, health benefits for the four hundred and one k. So you mentioned Mike mentioned and his group. Um, you know they they have an employee model as well. And what do you know about that? And have you guys what discussions have the two of you? Even his form, you know, retired partner about that model. Did you guys talk at all? And if, did you? Yeah, yeah, Mike and I talk a lot about deals, and we talk a lot about structures like the payroll concepts. We talk about business valuations often. Um, we do, we do do some work in space that's a little bit overlap with his with the insurance space, just in PA. Yeah. We do a fair amount in the banking sector, so there's there's some. Uh, we have an engagement to buy wealth management firms down to Florida. And obviously Mike's in Florida. He'll see wealth management firms because of just the overlap in his business. So we'll talk a fair amount. But we've talked a lot about the employee concept. We've talked about systems inside the company, you know, like the CRM. And I know we talk about it at CIA too, but about the CRM model that we're using or whatever the case is. That um, Mike's a great resource for our, our organization, and so is Lou. But Mike, as the new owner, younger owner, uh, he's a great asset for CIA, but he's also a great asset for MA Source too. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, I would agree. And actually, him and I just uh, recorded a, a podcast too. So we talked about, and you talk about industry special specialization is is what we discussed and what that means for uh, him and his customers. But yeah, the way they structure their firm came up in that discussion as well, and it sounds a lot like what you guys do and how you structure from an employee model, which is not necessarily the norm. In, in that no, but, you know, if, if, again, if I, and we talked about, I talked a little bit about this at the conference recently. I really think that, um, like I said, if I was doing it all over again, I would have done it that way right from the beginning. It does take more capital investment because you're, you're, you're paying salaries where you're probably not going to see a return for 18 or 24 months. But it, it it is the best thing for our clients if you start with the client first, and it's the best thing for uh, for the owners and for them in the long term too. And, and and you know I mentioned like wealth management firms that are the independent contractor model. You look at law firms when 
some law firms are employees and some are just a collection of, of attorneys. You know, in Pennsylvania, at least you can't have a non-compete as an attorney. So, you know, those clients are going to run out the door. You, you know, if you're investing in clients in the long term, you don't want somebody taking them with you either. Absolutely. I, asked, I posed this question recently to another CIA member, but I mentioned at the introduction of, of today's discussion, um, you know, in the m and world, lower middle market specifically, it's a lot of different structures. Um, you know, we've got some amazing uh, you know, solo practitioners, Jim and Larry and others. We have you and Scott and Mike and Al, who are probably upwards of that 15-ish, you know, 20 range of, of um, people within their organization, and then everybody in between. Um, why do you think, in your opinion, Bob, why does that work for all different types of structures? Like, how does working in M&A, you know, structure differently? They all do it differently, but it's successful. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would say uh, we got some great examples within Cornerstone, though. You know, Jim right. and Larry are great examples of, of one or maybe one and a half, two people type firms. And that's, that's, that's a decision to be made. You know, as much as I like having employees and my employees are going to be listening to this at some point, (laughs) they're not always that much fun. Uh, I I even joked about it back in my banking days. You know, when I had 350 people reporting up through me at some point, it was 350 business days in a year. I had a business, an HR type issue that maybe my HR director handled, but I was still least informed of it on a daily basis. So it there's some negatives to that as well. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, you look at Jim Cumby, who's an attorney as well. You know, Jim, Jim has a very disciplined model and he's very disciplined on what clients he will take on uh, as well. So I think it depends on the, on the, on the market you're in, the footprint you're in uh, and where you want to be. Uh, and uh, and, you know, certainly one of my, the goal evolved after the first six months or so when I got in this business to say, you know, there's a market here that nobody's serving. I can't do it all myself. Um, and I was getting a lot of referrals. And so it, it really was difficult to then say, well, you're in the, and the really good business is the one you want to, to walk away from them at that point, too. And then once you got to that scale, then you kind of said, well, boy, I want something that I could transfer to the next generation of, of, of teammates, too. So that's a nice natural segue into my next question. So transitioning your company, you've got really good infrastructure built up. You and your partner, business partner, Sandy, um, you know, a really good job. You know, I hear, you know, and talking with you and Sandy and others, like one of your main focuses right now is to, uh, you know, you know, maybe start seeing like what does it look like if i'm not always you know here to do you know do it all for lack of a better term um, so what work are you doing to to make sure that you're comfortable when whatever that day comes that you want to you know transition your, your your practice here um what are you doing right now to make sure that whenever that happens you're in, you'll be in a good spot yeah you know i think it's a few things one is the team very much shares that viewpoint too. So we had a retreat in February, uh, one prior year that they all came out of that retreat with that goal. Um, we had a mini retreat two weeks ago, and that was also the concept coming out of that was that orderly transition and what happens if Bob gets beamed up tomorrow? 
is how does this company survive and where does it go? Um, so to do that, uh, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, I, I recently walked the Camino way with my wife. So uh, two, two things. One, uh, during Lent, people often give up things. Mm-hmm. Well, my give up was working Sundays. And so a lot of our peers in CIA, you know, I'll walk, walk work Sundays because I see the team chats on Sundays, yeah. things along those lines. Uh, I've been able to do that, and it's stuck since Lent started. The second piece is my wife and I walked the Camino Way in, in July, and I would say at the time it was painful. Now, probably in hindsight, it was enjoyable. But um, there's no way I could have taken phone calls dealt with emails or anything along that trip. And um, my partner, Sandy, and and Cliff, who's not a partner, but we treat him like a partner, and my son, who's an attorney, uh, who's part of the firm now, all did a really great job in, in not letting me get engaged. And, and we had a client, we closed the transaction recently, but the, Sandy did a, and mostly Sandy did a fabulous job of not even let me know there were issues to deal with. So, um, you know, I come back and it's on a glide path to closing and, uh, and it was a pretty significant deal for us. So it was, they've done a great job in doing that. And we've all trying to take an approach, not just for owners, yeah. but if you go on vacation, we're not going to bother you. Yeah. And, uh, or if you have a family event, we're not going to bother you. And we, and we, you know, we expect the, uh, I used to coach tennis as well. So I used to be able to sneak out like at three o'clock and, you know, coach tennis and come back at six or seven o'clock at night, but I worked late then. Now the goal, if I did that would be, I wouldn't have to come back. So it's not there yet. Um, it's still a work in process. Um, we continue to work on that, but it's, uh, it's, it's the goal that, uh, whether it's myself or anybody else on the team that, um, we have a team that we can rely on and don't have to be there every day of the week every moment of the day. So when you're hiking in the mountains in Spain and um, enjoying all that that came with that, like your mindset, were you, did you catch yourself like wondering, thinking like, I wonder what's going on back in Pennsylvania with all these deals? Or were you like mentally like, I'm going to, you know, enjoy this vacation for what it is. I, th- I think there, I think there was uh, uh, very little moments of what's going on with the company during the walk part of it. Yeah. Um, there were, it was, it's a, the Camino way is supposed to be a spiritual walk and it was. Uh, so there were, there were certainly moments that you were doing things like praying and things along those lines. Mm-hmm. There were also moments and, and I'll, you know, be careful how I say it, but um, I went from like, Oh, another mountain to another something mountain. And, uh, and will this mountain never end type of thing. And, yeah. and so it was, just that that brutality of that walk, you know, we walked twenty about twenty five miles one day, wow. and uh, so you know that that you didn't have the the desire to even think about it, anything other than get get somewhere where you could take your shoes off, get a hot shower, and eat something, and have a cold beer. So uh, uh, the one thing I would say though the, about the walking the Camino, and you've done that, you just recently did a hike yourself, is wow. those up and down mountains. It's a lot like the M&A world um, and, and uh, you know, in the individual deal and also in the sense of uh, the industry itself and the business itself, you know, you're climbing those mountains or you're never going to get there. 
And then you get to the peak of the mountain, you see a valley, you think, oh, great, it's a valley coming up. But you know, once you go down that valley, you're going to have another mountain you have to climb. So, you know, I didn't figure that out till like day three. Um, but it uh, it's very much like our business, and it's very much what our business owners go through in a transaction, too. So being able to deal with the peaks and valleys and not think once you get to the peak that you you, you reach the peak of your career or peak of the deal or whatever the case is, you know, you have a bump in the road down, down the road there and figure out how to deal with that. Were you able, you said it was a spiritual journey, a spiritual hike. Like, did you reflect, do you have any reflection on the, you know, the where, where, where your, your, your professional life is, where your firm is like, and anything that came out of that, like, Oh, like I want to try something new or like, Anything that, you know, you reflected on while you're out there? That Yeah, I would, I would say, uh, you know, a few things. One is, um, yeah, there, there was an alumni group from my university. Mm-hmm. There were some employees from the university. I used to be on the board of the university. I teach as an adjunct professor there. So pre, pre-trip, we were talking about what do you want to get out of this trip? And, and my wife was really into the, the faith and yep. spiritual part of it. I'm like great meals. Uh, <laughs> and, but I did also say turn work off. Yeah. So literally at the airport, um, before we left, we left flew out of Newark, the, you know, the university people were saw me checking my, my cell phone and I started getting yelled at. And, um, and I checked in when we landed in Germany and I got yelled at there. So finally it got to the point that, you know, I'm not going to get yelled at anymore. But we, <laughs> we, there were also some business peers there. There was a banker there, a business owner that owned, you know, 18 car dealerships on the trip. So, you know, think about intensity in that sense. Both of them had those issues too. So we both forced ourselves to turn up, turn it off. Back to the reflection piece on the, um, on the business, probably less reflection on the, on, what I would do differently in the business, but more reflection on, on being grateful yeah. uh, uh, that um, whether it was accidental or intentional that, you know, someone like Sandy joined the firm mm-hmm. and, and had support of her family to, to help, you know, have that uh, balance. Yep. Um, and, and we're, and she's the one that really pushes me in work-life balance. And then likewise, Cliff and my, my son in the business and the other teammates, yeah, be able to reflect on on having good people, right? And good clients, uh, also, um, and, and good attorneys you work with, and CPAs and things like that. Yeah, that was more the reflection piece than yeah. than really building out the firm. Although, you know, it, it probably did cross our mind my mind a little bit about you know probably in the airport on the on the seven hour flight back about you know what am I going to do next type stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I I appreciate that insight. That's uh, that's uh. Obviously, a very personal journey, but you're free to share that. That's that's awesome, and yeah, always being grateful for the people around you. I think is is a good exercise to do. Um, which you know, I think you've built an amazing firm at Murphy McCormick. Um, you've been a founding member of Cornerstone International Alliance, been an integral part of what we've built here as an alliance, and I think that really stems, you know, and you hit it on before, but you know, and one of the things we pride ourselves in, and you've been part of the you know, bringing on new firm process as well as, you know, the good people is, is probably the most important thing um, that we look at when we want to bring someone else in. And, um, you know, so I think as a whole, as an alliance and all, you know, we all are in different areas and different backgrounds and things like that, but when we come together as a group, like there's just a camaraderie and a, a comfortability of, of, you know, 
trusting each other. And, you know, I think that really just is a testament to the amazing people that we have in our group. Then Nick, I, I would, I would echo that. I was in reflecting on today, you know, I, just in the last two weeks, you know, I've had conversations with, with Deb and, and Steve up in New England. Uh, John Howe's been such a valuable resource. Yeah. You know, as you know, Cornerstone, Wisconsin, not the Alliance, but through the Alliance, we were able to do a deal together uh, yeah. that really built a really sweet, nice company for, for the selling shareholders, but also for the, the private equity firm that bought it. Yeah. Now, it was a win for us as firms, but it was a really win for the client. And that's what we're all focused on. Right. I mean, coming in, Mensch, we talked about the talking to them, just watching the CIA uh, team messages throughout the week. I mean, it's it's been a wonderful uh, uh, and 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 just this conversation. We've had these conversations in our group chats. It's uh, it's been a good resource for for us and. You know, this is going to sound bad as past MA source chair. Sandy and I are looking more forward to the CIA event at Charlotte than we are to the MA source conference. And I'm teaching a class there. So you just smack me upside my head or, or uh, you know, Scott Bushke, past chair, John Howe. But, you know, that, that's, that's the real truth. Um, I very much, we very much get value. And that's the camaraderie piece but also the knowledge sharing piece. Yeah. It's always amazing, you know, and, and we've created a, a channel, like you said, through a messaging system where you can pop in a question and you'll get five answers within minutes as to, hey, I've, dealt, I've dealt with this, I've done that. And just the willingness to share. I mean, I think we all come together as, as one group and we know that, you know, we're going to help each other out. We're not competing against each other. There's plenty of business out there. You know, let's let's raise up everybody in the group to do the best they can. We're here to support each other, as well as I'm here to support all of you. And I'm really excited about Charlotte. You know, funny story. Um, when I started uh, in my role with Cornerstone National Alliance, January of uh, was it 2020? What happened in in, in uh, <laughs> two months later? COVID hit, and I I literally went the first two years of of me being here without seeing any of you in person. And so the first time we got together in person was Houston, which would have been, was that uh, 21? Fall of 20. It was 21, yeah. Excuse me. And just being able to, like, we're talking on a, you know, in a video conference right now, and um, for the first time we saw each other in person, it's like, oh, my gosh, we're, we're, we are all real. And, you know, give each other handshakes, hugs, and, you know, seeing each other for the first time. And, you know, that just right there was amazing. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, we've had, you know, great conferences since four or five since, and, you know, I'm looking forward to also getting together in Charlotte and, and uh, recreating that magic that happens in those conferences inevitably, because we have such a great group together that just talks about it, you know, and, and brings, you know, I think our goal is you, you're walking away from that conference with two, three, four, five things that takeaways that you can go and implement back into your practice tomorrow. And so that's really what we design all of our conversations. Around. Yeah, funny story, Nick, about seeing you for the first time live is uh, I was shocked about how tall you were. If you remember, I, I knew you played, you knew you were a great baseball player in college and things along those lines. But it was yeah. like, boy, you know, yeah, I think I even joked about uh, you doing sit ups or something one time on on a on a, on a chat like this. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to mess with Nick. He's like five inches taller than me. 
Well, funny story there. I I thought the same exact thing with with your uh, one of your employees, Jack Schrader. Yeah. I saw him in Orlando, um, and I'm like, you are taller than I thought you were too. And he's taller than me. Yeah. And and and, and Jack's a great example of building a firm. Uh, Jack played tennis for me in high school, yep. and he on the bus going to tennis matches. He started getting the bug about finance. Went yeah. to USC, did a great job, graduating in three years. And then uh, he interned with us, and we decided to hire him. And he's working remote for us out of San Francisco, and uh, which is hard for us at times. But we're, we, we, he got it, just got a CVA. He's going to have his MA, MI soon. But uh, uh, you yeah, know, he's, he's he's been a been a great addition. Yeah, I've I've, got, I've had the pleasure of working with Jack too, and um, just to see like everything that he's doing at such you know, a short amount of time, all the things he's been, I mean, it's amazing. I think, I think you got a good one there. Yeah. Let's not tell Jack to watch this episode. No, he'll be listening to this. We'll be able to finish that through the door, right? Yeah. I coached him in tennis, so I could still hit balls at him and make him do sit-ups. There you go. There you go. Hey, funny, uh, funny, my, you'll you'll love this. Uh, My daughter, nine years old, she is um, just getting into tennis this summer. So she's had about four lessons or so. And, and she's loving it so far. So uh, that's a lifetime sport. Yeah, if you can do it. Now I'm gonna have to get into the game and work and practice with her. Yeah, with your height, you could be uh, you could be a star quickly. Maybe I don't know about that. She, she might be not. Maybe not me, but I probably need a couple of years to get to your level. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bob, I got one last question. I really appreciate the time. Um, you know. When you look and reflect back at, you know, the, the, the years that you, so 20, 2005, that's almost uh, 20 years that Murphy McCormick has been in business. Um, you know, what advice would you give yourself of 20 years ago um, getting into this, this industry and what might you uh, want to have known back then that you know now? I think I would have done two things. One is, um, probably taking the advice of the true lower middle market firms and, and, and even the middle market firms and building an employee model versus an independent contractor model, mm-hmm. be very disciplined on saying no yeah. on the, on the very small ones that are lifestyle businesses and not sellable. Yeah. Um, and I would have invested more. So, you know, I invested a lot. So, you know, that model wasn't working. So I was, would, make loans, but I think the better way to do it would have been just put the capital in and say, we're going to, we're going to lose money for the first two years, just like many small businesses and say, we're investing in the future for our customers and for our employees and be okay with that. As long as we're building a brand and the, and building processes the right way. And instead of thinking, well, I'm going to sell that hairdresser and get a $15,000 fee, you know, it's, the amount of time you spent trying to sell a hairdresser to get a $15,000 fee, you could have been spending on five or six lower middle market deals and building them for the long term for half million dollar fees. Yeah. So it, 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 it just a little bit more discipline on that front, but you're really kind of deciding who you want to be. We coach our clients on it. Yeah. You know, we don't, don't coach ourselves sometimes. <laughs> well, and I feel, I feel like we've talked a lot about that as, as, as a group about, what that looks like. And, um, you know, you want to have a runway of, you know, I guess there's no runway long enough, I guess, but you want to be in a position, like you said, like we teach our clients that whenever you're ready, you know, whatever that might be, 
that um, you have that succession plan, whatever might what that might be the best for you. And so we we constantly talk about that, and that's an ever evolving conversation. And people are you got the ups and downs of that, and I think you're doing a really good job um, with uh, setting up Murphy McCormick for future success. Um, whenever you do decide to uh, enjoy retirement and and then what that might look like, but you know I'm I'm really excited about the conversation we had. You gave us great insights as to how to you know kind of the blueprint as to what worked for you guys, but I think that model can work for a lot of firms. And the success you've had is un unquestionable, um, major success over the you know the course of your entire career. Um, I know we've we've collected statistics over the last couple of years on your number of deals done and enterprise value. And you're always, you know, right at the top of that list for our group. And 1.3 billion uh, enterprise value uh, last year as a group is pretty good. And you played a huge role to that. Um, Want to thank you, Bob, for all that you've done for, for me and for Cornerstone. Um, you know, where we are today, you being a founding member, founding board member, um, it's been amazing to the, uh, the group that we've created here. And that's a true testament to your, your input, you know, I, I, I consider you a friend and a, and a mentor for me within this industry um, and a go-to person when I have questions. And so thank you for joining me today and thank you for all that you do for us. Hey, Nick, you, the CIA itself has been a great resource, but you've been a great resource. And I hope Scott Bushke's hearing that uh, as well. But, you know, you know, how many times during the week? It's usually once or twice a week I'm reaching out to you for something. Mm-hmm. And you've been a great resource for myself and my team. And, and I know you've been for others in the group, too. And, and literally when we were in Tampa, Nick, a bunch of us were talking about that on the side. Uh, so uh, uh, probably it was our fifth drink, but I was still we were, we were, we were bragging about you. <laughs> the truth yeah. comes out, right? <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, no, I appreciate yeah. that, Bob. Thank you. That means, that means a lot. And I do this for you guys. And, and I know we have a great group here. So. Really appreciate the time. You know, we we this this one went longer than normal, but I thought it was you know a lot of great information and a great insight. Appreciate your time. Busy. Um, I know you're going on a trip soon, and 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 I really hope we can enjoy that. And I know you will and have a great time. Uh, but uh, best of luck on the rest of the year as well, and um, hopefully. Uh, Likewise, Nick. Have a great weekend. You take care. Thank you again. So that's all we have for today, Bob. Thank you again. This is the Mastermind Podcast. You know, one thing that will help both of is uh, to like, comment, and share this episode. You know, anyone you know that might benefit from this discussion, please share it with them. It would help us out and them out tremendously. Um, You can check out all of our episodes at cornerstone.com slash podcast. Uh, Bob, where where, where can everybody find Murphy McCormick? uh, our website is www.murphymccormick and McCormick spelled M-C-C-O-R-M-A-C-K dot com and uh, that would be a great, great place to find us. Yeah.